0: Welcome to Academic Medicine Leadership Lessons, brought to you by the Society of Teachers of Family Medicine. On this podcast, we speak to leaders in academic medicine about a variety of leadership topics. During the COVID 19 public health emergency, many residency programs and medical schools are reinventing how they operate. Much has been accomplished quickly and with great ingenuity, and we'll be sharing some of those stories of adaptability and learner engagement on this podcast. For the time being, this podcast will be hosted by me, Brian Hisher, manager of online education at STFM. When things return to something more normal, our regular host, Dr. Saria Carter-Sacosio, will be back with us to take up her hosting duties. And I can think of no better person to start us off on these podcasts than our non-pandemic host, Dr. Saria Carter-Sacosio. Hi, Saria. Thanks for joining us today.
1: Pleasure being here.
0: So tell me a little bit about where you work.
1: I work at Prisma Health, and I am the Ambulatory Chief Medical Officer. I'm also the Department Chair of Family Medicine for the University of South Carolina, Greenville.
0: Excellent. And so in that role, what do you normally do in situations that are very different from what we're in right now?
1: So on a typical day, I'm supporting outpatient practices with a strong focus on primary care, ensuring that. We have high-quality delivery of that care and a standardized approach throughout our health system. I also support academics for our GME, as well as our medical student programs in recruiting more docs to be family physicians.
0: So I imagine that, uh, given the current public health emergency that we're in right now, your role has probably changed a little bit. Completely. Absolutely.
1: I essentially spend 10 to 12 hours a day focused on COVID-19 preparedness, planning, and supporting our outpatient clinical sites across all of our departments in our system so that we can continue to access our patients and for them to continue to access us to keep them well and focus on chronic disease management as well.
0: So how would you define preparedness?
1: That's... An on-point question, certainly, and a curious one, because I think you would receive 57 different definitions from 57 people. Of course, in a situation like this, this is something we've never experienced before, Brian. We have been learning every day, and in the beginning, we had plans changing on the hour, oftentimes. So what's been critical is being flexible, being willing to change on an hourly basis, a daily basis, and a weekly basis where there were initiatives that in the past might take us months to years to initiate, we're at the point where it takes us 24 hours or a couple of days to be able to do so. And what we've had to adjust is how do we practice differently today instead of trying to be exactly the same providers that we were pre-COVID-19.
0: So how do you go about communicating to others, these types of change initiatives?
1: Well, Brian, we've had a number of lessons learned, especially when it comes to communication across our COVID-19 pandemic. Initially, uh, our challenge was even getting the ambulatory message into the conversation with the health system. So of course, we're no different than many other hospitals and academic institutions where oftentimes the focus starts at the hospital and it takes us some time to decentralize our efforts and our focus to then incorporate the entire community in our focus for healthcare. So what we recognize is it was really important to identify who are the decision makers, first of all, so that we can even move forward with policies that need to be created day by day and updated on, on multiple occasions. And we recognize that we also had to collaborate with groups. Certainly the ambulatory space is not primary care only for us. We have 11 different departments and over a couple thousand physicians in our medical group in one of our markets and the other market um, has over a thousand themselves. So being able to align everyone with a consistent message as much as possible has created an opportunity for us to provide and deliver touch points, if you will. So exactly what you said, I don't have time to send out an email every time a plan changes. Um, but we've set up a process um, to get you in the weeds with me a little bit, where um, twice a week we have what we refer to as an ambulatory COVID-19 touchpoint. And during those touchpoints, we give pertinent updates that the entire ambulatory space needs to be aware of. Um, we do a round robin of every single department to identify what have been considered best practices? Where are some of the challenges that we can share our stories? And how do we hold one another accountable to then deliver a message across all of these providers and within our practices consistently? So it's worked very well, in fact. And since we have these twice-weekly touch points, now the departments have developed a communication pattern that follows direction from this ambulatory space where our vice chairs or our next-level leaders are then re emphasizing the important messages and pulling out those pearls that every provider on the front line needs to be aware of.
0: So, where do residents fit in with this?
1: We were challenged, frankly, in the beginning. And some of those challenges were restrictions, understanding that ACGME initially did not recognize virtual care as a way to gain clinical experience and serve as learning opportunities. Now, I am thrilled that we have seen some relaxation of those restrictions, and as a health system, we've created a systematic process that works the same across all spaces for residents so that they all have the opportunity to experience the same type of telehealth touchpoint with their patients in collaboration and precepting with their attendings. Now, some have asked, what are the next duties? that I'm going to be responsible for. Currently, they're still focused on their clinical rotations. And as much as possible, we are trying to preserve that experience for them for a number of reasons, one of those being a chronological timeline that requires us to make sure they get all of their required elements in time so that they can graduate appropriately. Now, that being said, we recognize across the country, while we may be at a stage two from ACGMEs. Um, stages in regard to when do we push clinical learning aside and focus on patient care first and survival. Um, Our system is at a stage two. However, we are in the midst of developing the criteria specific and unique to our system of when and if we declare to stage three. Um, I'm hearing stories across the country where that experience is vastly different. For example, residency programs in New York have already obviously moved to a stage three type pattern. So we are not there yet. And I understand across the country, we'll have to follow this in a stepwise fashion and learn from one another. And I have so appreciated the networking that has occurred on a day-by-day basis with family physician leaders across the country.
0: So where are you finding places to network with family physicians around the country?
1: Well, the first place I turn as a chair is to the ADFM. List So the Association for Departments of Family Medicine. There's a wealth of knowledge, and I've been so impressed with the collegiality and the sharing of both best practices and also barriers that people have discovered along the way. Because what we've recognized, Brian, is it's not just COVID-19 is here, and the challenges and issues remain the same. We continue to evolve as the condition evolves. So where before the concern was mostly with screening of patients. Now we're managing COVID-19 patients. And as we're trying to get back to a new normal and ensure that we're taking care of a patient's diabetes while we're waiting for us to get through COVID-19 pandemic, we're also measuring that with pregnant women who still need to be seen and evaluated for care. And then lay on top of that, the COVID-19 patient who perhaps has been hospitalized, now discharged and is needing care the same. So it's a juggling act, which is right in line with family medicine, but um, I really lean on our chairs and their knowledge that they're sharing of what's happening at the residency level and across their academic spaces
0: overall. Right. No, it sounds, like a, it sounds like a very necessary and, in a way, wonderful type of network to be a part of.
1: It has certainly connected this group more so than I've seen in the past, as you can imagine, um, the traffic is significant for our listserv, as my understanding it is for the AFMRD. So um, I think that's something that we'll continue to see, and as we have build these relationships, those conversations, I believe, will be ongoing for many months. Another opportunity I've had to participate in is the PISACano listserv. So for PISACano scholars across the nation, there is a group of us that connect and share stories, both in the academic space and also in clinical practice. So the benefit of participating with that group is then taking some pearls, if you will, of successes in the clinical practice space and then relaying that back to our academic environment so that they're getting a true experience of what it's like to be a practicing physician in a COVID-19 pandemic, which will then prepare us and them for the next pandemic. As we know, we will have one eventually, hopefully for a far away time. And certainly that would be my prayer.
0: Absolutely. So you mentioned pearls. Um, One
1: of those would be coming together rapidly into, um, I I would consider it more like bumper cars initially. And now we're part of a slow and then a quick pace dance, if you will. And in the beginning with our bumper cars, um, it, it, it could be incredibly frustrating to find your swim lane and to identify, as I mentioned before, who, who has decision rights on some issues. How do you get information communicated and distributed amongst the masses, which is critical in a very timely process. So being patient yet being persistent is critical. If you just sit on the sidelines, you'll stay on the sidelines with this conversation. You've gotta be confident about what you think matters And what is absolutely necessary for safe patient care and to protect your providers and their team members and healthcare teams and their clinical practices. So very important that persistence. Um, Being curious, yet trusting your gut is something that um, I have reaffirmed through this process. If something doesn't sound right, it probably isn't. And there may be others who feel the same way that you do, but if you don't voice that concern, then someone else may be waiting for someone else to do it. And as we're moving so quickly, the risk for creating additional air is greater than what we would see in any other time where we have a methodical process, a strategic planning period of time and implementation, and then an evaluation of what we do. Um, what's happening today is within 24 hours, you have your strategic planning and your evaluation occurs essentially the next day. And so you also have to grow your skin a little thicker than perhaps you're used to. Uh, Feedback is critical, and you've got to be open to it because we've got to rely on one another to make it the best plan that it could be. Um, I think it's also important to know in a time like this, it's critical to have your subject matter experts and to be able to rely on one another to develop that core team that can lean on one another. It's exhausting. And when we're exhausted or our resilience is tested, um, so are our manners. And um, respect is critical because everyone is trying to do the right thing. And we may have different ways of approaching that. But having that close-knit team so that when you're going on your 18th hour and perhaps getting to the end of your rope, perhaps they're recovering from one of those states where you helped them previously the day before. You've got to be vulnerable and it's okay to be vulnerable. No one will have all the answers in this space. And in fact, it's very important to lean on others if they have a better idea and to be able to move forward with that conversation. I think that's really important. Um, Another lesson I'll share is I've surrounded myself with people that help stretch me. I tend to be someone who always likes to have a plan, very methodical in my approach. And because I want to ensure success in a time that we are experiencing today, it's important to surround yourself with others who may stretch a little bit. I'm a colleague of mine, I call him cowboy. And that's because sometimes he can get ahead. And he's got tremendous ideas. And we work incredibly well together. Because while I may help him stabilize a bit, he stretches me in areas where I may not have tried risk, or innovated as quickly as he has. So recognizing those talents and the gifts that people bring to the table. And then here's where I've seen a difference across the country. So now we're getting practical in how we take care of patients and why it's important that we do what we do. And it's being prepared for developing a new normal. And what does that new normal look like? If we all stayed focused on screening and testing and managing COVID-19 and COVID-19 only, we would be missing the tremendous opportunity we have and the skill set that we bring to the table as family physicians to maintain wellness, to ensure the optimal health for every single patient we're approaching. So for us, it was incredibly helpful that we had resources available to, within 24 hours, develop telehealth capability. We initially tried to lean on an outsourced um, service for our video visits. We quickly recognized that they were incredibly overwhelmed with the sheer volume they were receiving from all of their vendors and their partners. So, when we brought this in-house, within a week, we were able to move some of our practices to above 50% telehealth. This is what, I guess, we're going on our third week of telehealth, And some of our practices are approaching 80, 90% for telehealth experiences. Now that's not everyone, but because we have transparency of data and every day we get reports by practice and by provider of the total visit volume, how many visits were by video, how many were by telephone, we've been able to actively manage that together as a team and across all departments. So that telehealth move has been our greatest opportunity and success um, post-early days of COVID-19 identification, testing, screening, and then moving patients forward for management.
0: That is all really, really interesting and good uh, good stuff to hear. The, the wellness is something that I think we're particularly interested in. You know, you've talked about um, relationships with colleagues and finding people who can stretch you. And um, can you talk a little bit about how You're supporting each other in terms of wellness and finding rest where you need it or a quiet place?
1: Mm -hmm. Yes, and I think it's something that's very important. I've seen in the last couple of weeks in different email groups and listservs a focus on meditation and mindfulness, and those can be incredibly helpful tools. Uh, By planning in advance and creating some infrastructure, I think it's helped maintain our resilience going forward. But here's how we connect and lean on one another. Picking up the phone when an email thread seems to go off track has proven to be incredibly helpful in reconnecting us as humans. Um, I had a day, in fact, yesterday, to be specific, where it seemed like every barrier or challenge was related to a miscommunication. And I found the greatest way to connect with my colleagues was to pick up the phone and have a conversation with them, to lighten up the subject with humor and get a laugh in here or there. And when people realize that you're here to help, they're here to help, and perhaps we just weren't on the same page to begin with, it's made a big difference. Um, I've also seen in our residency program a connection of the faculty. When someone looks tired, give them a break. A message came out today to all of our faculty from our vice chair of academics, while we are on a travel restriction for the next 30 days, this was spring break season. And that's challenging for folks who've been waiting and perhaps they have plane tickets originally or beach trips scheduled. And the message came out very clear that while we have a 30-day restriction, if you need a day to recharge, we want to do that for you. We want to empower you to feel that that's important to take care of yourself. So on a case-by-case basis, we're trying to help our colleagues that way. So while you can't travel, you can certainly settle in for a staycation for a day. And something else that we've done within our department is we've connected by phone once a week to check in. How are you doing? Uh, Are you hanging in there? What do you need help with? We have the same struggles across our system and in our clinics, both on the academic side and our clinical community. And once you hear that people are struggling with the same issues, or they found small success um, by getting the video visit to work or or finding a way to work a system that you've never tried before in the past. It's helped bond the department more so. And then connecting with email is another way. Sometimes it's just sending a thoughtful email of, hope you're doing okay. You've been on my mind. And when we've had colleagues who've come down with fevers or symptoms and are being tested for COVID-19, reaching out to them, while they're having those symptoms to say, hey, I care about you. And I want to know that you're okay. If there's anything I can do, you let me know. But it's important, you know, we're thinking about you back at the ranch.
0: Yeah, that all sounds incredibly important. Um, Just every little bit, every little connection is going to be it's going to make a big difference for somebody. So one thing that our listeners may not be aware of is that you are the official host of the podcast we're listening to right now. And at the moment, you are filling in as a guest, and I'm filling in as host. Um, With your background, you've been talking to a lot of our members about leadership. And one question I had for you, perhaps you can shed light on this, is for someone who's feeling frustrated and who isn't feeling like a leader... Do you have any uh, words of support or encouragement for them through this time?
1: Yes, I'll share with you what I've shared with some residents or new physicians along their path who perhaps aren't in leadership roles, and it seems to be working based on the feedback I've gotten so far, is find your loop. And if it's your direct leader, ask him some questions. And instead of having all the answers, posing questions can be helpful, with some suggestions of how we've been able to solve issues, Um, and sharing with them what you've read, what is new, what's coming to you, I think can be incredibly helpful. Coming alongside your leaders, supporting the work that they're trying to take forward, and then offering perhaps a suggestion or two seems to be well received by most. Um, We can feel very uncomfortable, intimidated, and it can come across as defensiveness, at times, if we feel that someone is asking questions that can be seen as being challenging. So just being very mindful, in fact, how you would talk to a patient, for example, who you know may be resistant to quit smoking or someone who perhaps has behaviors that need to be addressed. And following some of those same tips and tools that we've received in our own training can be very helpful, but being seen as someone who's collecting information and delivering Can be received much more openly than someone who says they have all the answers, so to speak. Sometimes that happens. And we want to balance all that information because people bring some really important detail and experience to this conversation. But that's what I would say to someone who perhaps is newer in their career or is feeling frustrated that maybe information is not getting delivered to their stage, if you will.
0: Oh, that's great. So thank you so much for taking the time uh, to meet with us and to, to hop onto this podcast. Uh, we really appreciate it. We know that you're very busy and that there's a lot going on. So I'm very grateful that you uh, that you came out today.
1: Well, thank you so much for the invitation to actually be the person interviewed today. And it's, it's such an incredible opportunity to connect with our peers and our colleagues. And I, I'm just so excited that the Society for Teachers of Family Medicine is offering this and hosting even through COVID-19 and the challenges that we have today.
0: Well, take care and stay safe. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Academic Medicine Leadership Lessons. You can access all of our episodes at stfm.org slash podcasts, or subscribe through any of the major podcast providers, such as iTunes, Spotify, or Google Podcasts.